Hello and welcome to The Full Story, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes in journalism. I'm Jim Lenahan. Not long ago, a colleague brought to my attention a relatively young journalist at the News Leader in Springfield, Missouri. The News Leader is a local media organization owned by USA Today's parent company, Gannett, and part of what we now call the USA Today Network. Anyway, this journalist a few months ago was named to Editor and Publisher's 25 Under 35 list. Editor and Publisher is a trade magazine, and these are the kind of lists that trade magazines do every year, probably in just about every trade, not just journalism. Lists like these allow the publication to look like it has its finger on the pulse of the industry it covers, and a list like this also makes the readers of that publication feel that their industry is filled with the best and brightest young minds. But how much stock should we really put into something like 25 under 35? How do they find these people? Are they truly exceptional talents? Or are they just lucky to have bosses who champion their work? Or am I just an overly skeptical journalist myself? Or worse, am I just bitter that I never got on a list like this? Nevertheless, I agreed to interview this young journalist, Alan Vaughn, for this podcast. Alan works as, quote, consumer experience director for the news leader, which basically means that he's high up in the organization and he works on how audiences interact with the news leader's content. There's a lot more detail that I could go into, but I won't, because what I found is that's not the most interesting part of Alan Vaughn's story. The part I really liked is the about four years that Alan spent away from the newsleader. This is a guy who at one point got so discouraged with the traditional news media business that he just left. So here I am, this excited reporter. I'm excited to have this career. I'm going towards what I thought I wanted to do my whole life. And people are getting laid off. People who I respect are getting, are taking buyouts. And we're taking these furloughs where I had to be educated on that, which is like, wait a minute. So I just don't get paid for some time. And it was really, really tough. And, so, you know, I have always been very ambitious, but also uh, you know, I've also been very confident in my ability. So I said, I just kind of looked around. I said, wow, so our sports columnist left and we didn't fill that job and our music writer left and they didn't fill that job. And I just, I just looked around. And meanwhile, we had won a national sports writing award for a project I did on Tommy John surgeries. It was, it was a team effort. It was a lot of fun. But back what I was told was you win a national award you can get all of these different interviews and you might be able to, to, to advance. And I was really excited about it. And so what happened is when I started applying to jobs, I couldn't even get a call back or I would get a note that would say, yo, sorry, uh, but we've got 20 people with more experience than you and they'll probably take less than you because they really need a job. And that was really, really frustrating to me. Now think back to 2009. America was in a recession. That made life difficult enough. But if you worked in journalism, the outlook was even worse because traditional media companies, such as newspapers, were struggling with digital disruption. Advertisers were moving away from print and into digital 
and newspapers were trying to figure out that new business and, well, you've probably heard this all before. We won't get into it here. But if you were in your late 20s and working as a sports reporter and working toward what you thought was your dream job to be a sports columnist, things didn't seem so promising at the time. I, I just kind of looked at the landscape. I always wanted to be a sports columnist or that type of uh, opinion maker, pundit, whatever you want to say. And I just said, well, I could do that. Let's just try to do that. I think I've built up the sources. I think I might be able to go sell some ads. So I essentially put in my notice and I said, I'm, I said, peace, I'm out of here. Like I'm, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm really sorry. I like you guys, but my career's not really going where I thought it was going to go. And I want to take control of it. We just decided let's uh, try to see if we could be, um, instead of being small fish, so to speak, if we could team up and try to be one big fish um, in the Springfield Sea. That's Brett Johnston, one of three initial partners who went in with Alan to start their own local media website. They covered sports and music and food and the arts, all the things that they felt the news leader was starting to lose interest in. Alan was bought into this concept. He was gung-ho. Before he could get started, there was one little glitch in his plan. The day that I was a circle on the calendar to go quit my job, found out my wife was pregnant. Oh my gosh. And we had been trying, Jim, we had been trying for a long time. You know, we were, we were getting very frustrated and, and it had been a long time and we were about to take some, some drastic measures to try to figure out what we needed to do. And there it was. And so she went the next day, Monday, to go get the blood test, totally official. And I said, oh, my God, what do we do? Do, I, do we double down on this or do I stay? And she says, no, let's just go ahead and do it. We've talked about it. And so essentially I did the let's start a business and a family at the same time, which I would recommend to zero people to do. I mean, it was really, really hard to do all of those things. A lot of people probably would not make that decision. They would say, I got to have the steady income. I can't be taking this risk at that time. So what was it about you and your circumstance that made you go in that direction? Yeah, it was. I've always been, I mean, whatever, if, if, driven. All this really sounds pretentious, but mostly it was just, I feel like I can do something great. And I saw the, we thought we identified a gap in the market that we would be able to go after from a content perspective, felt like we could monetize it. I felt like we could scale it in a, in a very small way and grow it into what we thought it would be and whether that end game was uh, staying in the city and you know building a, uh, an entertainment empire, whatever that looked like, or being able to branch out to different markets. You know, we just, I just said, you know what, what's the upside here? You know, if I stay in the system, is this something that I'm going to be able, you know, where am I going to be in five to 10 years? It really, I've always tried to look big picture like that. So what, what, what's the worst that can happen? And I gambled on myself a little bit in, in, in our ability, but essentially I said, what's the worst thing? I have to go get a manual labor job, which is no disrespect to that, but that's maybe something I could do, or I could go get something else, or I could beg a friend for some type of job, but I just didn't want to have, I've never wanted to have a career that I wasn't not only just satisfied with, but in love with, like 
have always put a lot of value on what I thought I wanted to do for a living. I heard someone say, you know, when I was real young that, you know, you do this for so much of your life, why not try to love it? And so I've always tried to do things that I've been attracted to, whether it's, uh, you know, whether I, I love music. So we dabbled in that. I've loved, uh, you know, sports talk radio. So we try to figure those things out. Sports writing. I tried to figure those things out and I was like, well, okay, well, I'm good at this. Let's go try to do it. And it's not like we make, you know, a high school sports reporter in Springfield, Missouri makes a whole lot of money anyway. So I was like, let's try to, let's try to make it happen. Alan took the leap. He left his steady but meager paycheck at the newsleader and got together with his buddies and worked on launching their new website. They called it TAG. Man, it was, it was an incredible rush of excitement and, and adrenaline. That's Brett Johnston again. Every day we were getting together and Scott's, I mean, in his, in his dining room and, and four laptops all facing each other, all four of us, um, you know, kind of writing stories constantly about our beat every single day. Um, and just compiling as much information as possible. And especially for Alan, Chris and I, um, we're all big content guys and, and, and big writers. So the more that we could write, the more that it kind of fueled the, the passion to, to, to really get this thing going. And then, you know, of course, at the very beginning, we were just totally number chimping. All day long, I had the stats on my phone, just refresh, 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 just to see. And it was, it was um, really exciting then to also see how people almost immediately um, figured out what we were about and uh, responded. And to see that early traffic, you know, which, which was nominal in the grand scheme of things, but it was exciting when you're first starting something to see a couple thousand people checking out this thing you just created. So with this group... You obviously have a lot of people you feel good about on the content side of things. Yes. Did any of you have business experience? Zero percent. Okay. So how did that work? So clearly, like any any journalist who's ever written a word or done something, you know, on TV or video or radio, clearly they think very highly of their product, right? So we, uh, you know, obviously we underestimated what the sales portion of our product or the monetization of it. We initially just said, you know what, we're going to have such great content. Clearly someone's going to just, you know, back up the truck and try to give us a bunch of money, which was obviously the opposite of what happened. So we didn't really have a whole lot of business experience, but I have a business degree from Drury University. And it was always something that, you know, I paid attention to, I got good enough grades at, but I just couldn't ever figure out the real world application. Like it never really kind of clicked for me on why I would need or what I would actually do with these things. You know, it's like my, uh, my father and my, every male in my family has worked in the banking industry. So I thought, okay, well, that's maybe something I could do, but I just was never really in love with it the way that I saw my father in love with it or something along those lines. So I could never really get figure out the, the, the actual physical uh, interpretation of it. But no, we had zero experience going into it. So no one had ever asked anyone else for any money at all, except their parents. Like that was really about it. Like we never asked a real another human about, you know, hey, we want, we're going to give you this and here will you give us money for that? None of us had ever done that. 
we came out of journalism school. We, you know, that I, I think I took the mandatory two business classes when I was in college, but otherwise it was um, learning all of that in the seat of our pants. We could write, we knew we could write. That, that was our strength and that's what we should have stuck to the entire time. And I think, uh, you know, that's, that's probably what we learned. I learned that owning your own business is an awesome thing. It is a powerful thing and it is a scary thing. And it was, you know, and, and then really it was just, we had to make it happen. Like we all had to look around and say, what are you doing today that's going to try to make this happen? And you really, what I found was how much harder that it was that I could work. You know, everyone in the world thinks that they're working hard, like everyone does. Even the worst employee to the best employee, they all feel like they're working hard, but really found new limits to work capacity and work ethic. And if you, you know, so it was, it was seven days a week and it was mostly on call because it was, it was our money on the line and our reputations on the line. And we'd put ourselves in that position. And now looking back, I could see, you know, wow, we needed to, to really be good at accounting and we really needed to be good at all the other things, which didn't necessarily think about that we had underestimated. We hired a business person to be our business manager because I didn't necessarily think that's something that I wanted to do. And then eventually, uh, he wasn't really very good at it. So I had to step in and do it. And so really what our experience was, as we were going out and trying to, to monetize and try to sell this audience that we had done a really good job of building the number one thing that they said is even if I told them we could, I could deliver X amount of page views and that has X amount of value, all they wanted was for people to be – to walk in their door, which that's still true now. I mean the, the, you know, the news leader or any Gannett property or any media outlet in the world is just trying to sell leads on getting people into the door. Like that model still exists. Right. So we were doing that, but man, because we were new, they would say, son – I got son to lodge him. They would say, they would say, son, cool concept, really into it, but how am I going to know that people are going to come? And we said, well, I mean, we, we can't. That's not our job. Our job is to deliver you leads. And, uh, and then they said, okay, well, what if you threw us a party? Or what if you threw us an event? And so that's how we got into events. So it started as a pretty straightforward media site, news and commentary on local sports, concerts, restaurants, and so on, started to branch out into other areas of business. Like any good entrepreneurs, they were going where their customers took them. And so we ended up being party planners, which we never really saw coming. We spent months developing this meticulous plan and how content and being online was the the driving force behind this um, and you know we in order to to keep a roof and to do those things we kind of sacrificed the content um, to try to to keep up on the financial end and um, develop sales and those sorts of things and, and develop events to bring in money here's one example of how the party planning business got going Alan tells the story And so we had this, the, maybe the nicest hotel in town, which we had no business trying to like sell ads to them or anything like looking back, like it was, it was just kind of happenstance. They wanted 
young, hip audience. So we said, let's do a happy hour. We brought in local music. We would bring in local food vendors from the outside. We would bring in local art. People would paint or create art like on site. And then all of a sudden had this vortex of place where people could actually interact with their brand. But what we, but then also we saw the benefit and people could actually figure out what our brand was about. And so we were able to brand ourselves as these business connectors, but we can make your business fun and we can make it hip or cool or rad or whatever word that you wanted to, to put on it. But so we would build this, this experience that our people were so energetic and passionate about what we were doing that it was very intoxicating. It, what was it like? It was yeah. terrifying. We had we put a, we decided to put a DJ down there, and so we're talking Where? about this really in in the lobby of this hotel. So hotel, okay. essentially, we they had a hotel bar. It was it's this really it's called the University Plaza, and it has this I mean just forever tall ceiling. Like you see, like let's say it's got fifty floors, and there's it was just basically you looked up and it was roof. So it was the tallest ceiling in Springfield. And so instead of it was always the place that like I would see my dad go for business or maybe or something like that. It was definitely not where you would go listen to a DJ and party. But we built this atmosphere of wow, you never know what's going to happen next. But we were the tastemakers on the whole thing. But it was terrifying. I mean, it was terrifying. We would try. We tried to bring in the best people who had names, who at least maybe twenty or thirty people would come to see, and then the 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 hotel promoted it. But I mean, I was nervous. That pit in your stomach, or like, man, is anybody going to come today? Like, man, is this going to bomb? You know, we've they're really expecting us to deliver on this. Uh, but it turned out to be great. We probably had 30 or 40 people show up and made sure everyone had a good time. And then it was a weekly event. And so we just built that thing up to where there were more than 100 people coming through on a Wednesday evening to a hotel in Springfield, Missouri. It was great. With some business success, Tag was able to move out of the partners' houses and develop a real presence in the community. So we had grown out of the basement, had an office uh, in downtown Springfield where we did the core of our business. And, uh, you know, so we ended up having brick and mortar because we felt like that legitimized us. Uh, you know, two old old man business is what I always called them because I was almost when I was there trying to sell it or someone else. We were almost always fifteen to twenty five years younger than the person across from the table, and so they really valued. Hey, you actually pay bills like I do. You know, that was something that they could they could get on, and we wanted to have bring that experience into actually what it was. So we love giving tours. We love. Uh, we ended up having a podcast studio where we were doing a dozen podcasts and bringing people in for those experiences and being able to just kind of see how much fun we had with the content. Ultimately, Alan and his partners faced what a lot of other startups face. Constant work, constant struggle to make a profit. Often, they didn't draw a salary for themselves. Revenues were inconsistent. They could recruit more investors, but... All of a sudden, we were starting to, to see things maybe not necessarily go as planned. 
But at the meantime, we were, uh, you know, different people, other media outlets essentially were looking at what we were doing. And they weren't necessarily saying, hey, come work for us, but they were definitely trying to see exactly what we had going. And they were wanting to partner with us more. And so really, you know, we, we had to sit down and have a really tough, uh, a really tough choice to make, which was, okay, we can gamble, continue to gamble on ourselves more and hope that the revenue comes back or hope that someone buys the company or we get another investor, but our margins were still pretty thin at that point. What do you want to do? Do you, we've now, going back to your original question, you know, about why did we do it? You know, are we much better to re-enter the workforce and go back into the media pool five years down the road? Do people look at us differently? Do we think that we can make more money separately than we could together? And it was a really hard thing. And we put in so much time. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, seven days a week. It was so difficult. And, you know, but really... My goal was to be, initially was to just be this sports columnist in Springfield, Missouri. That's what I thought I wanted to do. But ultimately found out that we were capable of so many more things and everyone had grown up so much to be able to say, wow, like what exactly is it that you think that you want to do? Do you want to keep doing this or do you want to do something else? And so we basically decided that we were going to close it because we thought that we had better opportunity to make money as individuals than we did collectively, which ended up being the 1000% right choice because all of our people had jobs pretty quickly after that, which I was always really proud of. We just, we just ran out of time against, you know, finances. <laughs> um, right. Right. That, that's, that's pretty much, pretty much what, how it all, how it all ended was, you know, we just banging our heads against the wall and, you know, you pay your, the people you're employing and you know alan and i some you know many months weren't uh putting anything in our own pockets right right which is fine for a passion project for a while but eventually wives and family are you know like hey you know how long are you going to uh, continue to uh to, to not provide as much so where do you go after your startup business ends its run for alan it was back to the place he left I never, ever, ever thought I was going to come back to the newsletter. Like, I'm de- I mean, 1%. Like, not that I didn't burn any bridges or do anything like that, but I definitely didn't have the greatest experience when I left. So, you know, I, know I wasn't stupid in saying, oh, you know, they don't know what they're doing and whatever. Watch me do this. Like, it was never like that. But I also was just like, why would I ever want to go back there? And had somebody uh, who I really respected said, you need to listen to this thing. And I said, yeah, right, fine. I'll do this as a favor for you. And I came in and the things that they were saying were so different. But Jim, they were also the things that we had done. Um, You know, he told me that when he left the newsletter, he thought there was no way he'd ever go back. Were you surprised to see him go back there? Unbelievably surprised. I was I was floored. but you know, I, I I can definitely see how his qualities. Um, I mean, he's he's a he's a born leader, and I, I, I you know I'm I'm excited for him and to see kind of his uh, what what I see is what could be a good upward trend for him. Um, 
there. I think he's in a great place, and I think that they're you know they're incredibly fortunate to have have someone as forward thinking as Allen. At the same time that Allen was considering a return to the news leader, the news leader was going through a change at the top. I was interviewing for the job uh, shortly, uh, the executive editor job, shortly after Allen uh, had applied for the digital editor job. That's Paul Barry, now the executive editor at the News Leader. Cheryl Witsit, who is our managing editor, uh, still here with the News Leader as a content strategist. She was gathering, she was the interim executive editor, was gathering uh, the resumes for folks. And uh, I spent a lot of time with Cheryl uh, during the interview process. And she, at near the end, she said, well, you know, if you end up getting this job, you'll probably want some input on this. So how about you take a look at these resumes and hand me a stack of resumes? And she said, I really like one of these, but I'm not going to tell you which one. So I went back to the hotel that night and looked through them and, and said, if, uh, you know, if it's not Alan Vaughn, then we've made a terrible mistake because this is clearly the right guy. And she agreed. She, she was very excited about the prospect of getting Alan back at the newsleader. Alan ended up getting hired back at the newsleader. He now works as consumer experience director, which means that he's involved in how audiences interact with the newsleader's content, whether that's online content or even emerging projects like events. Uh, I saw a guy who, who really wanted to uh, do something. He wasn't interested in a job. He was interested in making something happen. For Alan Vaughn, the newsleader is a very different place today than it was when he left. More willing to try new things, more willing to take chances, more willing to appeal to young audiences. This isn't just a newsleader thing. It's true at legacy media companies across the country. USA Today has gone through, actually continues to go through, the same type of transformation. When he left, a lot of people were kind of wanting to innovate, wanting to do uh, great work, uh, one, but but really felt like they were handcuffed in doing it. Um, Alan leaving to start Tag to uh, try to connect with a group, uh, a spot where he saw opportunity and he saw um, a group of people that he could really rally and build a community. Um, you know that experience for him gives him a good realistic view of what it's like to build community around a product. And so as consumer experience director here, as he's thinking about what events work, which ones don't, how to build a, uh, you know, a weekly happy hour like they did at TAG, he's done that and he's learned the lessons from that, uh, that that really helps us uh, take our event strategy right away from uh, one of, hey, wouldn't it be neat if we did these things, to, hey, it would be really cool, and here are the ways to do it, and here are the long-term benefits, and here is the way we can uh, work with our sales department to make this financially viable product at the same time. But for people like Alan, this new attitude makes all the difference. We were saying these things as however old we are, at, you know, we're at that point, 27, 28, you know, 29 or whatever. And, but no one was really going to listen to us, Jim. Like, I don't really feel like, like the climate in the company now is so different than it was back then where they were just trying to, my, my perception of it, they were just trying to figure out how to keep the lights on. They were not looking forward. And so whenever we said, we think we have a better way, we're going to go try this. 
if we would have said those things in that four or five years while I was at the news leader, I just don't think anybody would have listened. That they weren't ready to hear some of those types of things. And the way that corporate, you know, the corporations work is a lot of it comes from the top down. And we were kind of the crazy people. And so I was like, I think we should be doing podcasts. I think we should be doing these video hits. Like I think we should be writing about it in a different way. And it really wasn't necessarily gonna work out the way that it was. So just looking back, like that's the climate that we're trying to do now is bring us an idea and let's see if it works. And I don't know what exactly happened in the company or in the world or whatever it was, but uh, you know, then when the newsletter came back and we're like, we've seen what you've been able to do, bring, please bring all of the good things with you. And we've tried to build this culture of that exactly where there are no bad ideas. If your, your youth is kind of weaponized at this point, like you are now probably in the target market. So bring us what you have, but there's 0% chance that I would have been able to be the consumer experience director or be in the upper management of the newsletter or anywhere if we wouldn't have done that. He's a big uh, player in this market. Everyone knows him. Uh, he's a great, you know, he's been a uh, uh, from this area for a long time, grew up near here, uh, went to college here, had a business here, worked as a reporter here. Um, uh, he's a great community guy. And uh, that's the kind of guy you want to have on your team. I'm Jim Lenahan. Thanks for listening to The Full Story. We'll be back with more stories about journalism throughout 2016.